Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, here to break down the Chicago Cubs system today, and to do that we're bringing in Josh Norris, who did the Cubs top 10 for us. Josh, the Cubs are in kind of an interesting place. Uh, On the one hand, they just wrapped up their fifth straight winning season, and normally in the grand scheme of Cubs history, that would be a great thing. Uh, Obviously, expectations have changed a little bit. Uh, They won 84 games last year. That was 11 fewer wins than 2018. They've kind of taken a step back uh, each of the last few years. They've won a World Series in 2016. Then we're out in the NLCS in 2017, out of the NL Wild Card in 2018, and out of the playoffs altogether in 2019. That led to Joe Madden no longer being the manager of the Cubs. David Ross is in, so there's a big change there, obviously, with everything Madden did for the franchise. Uh, There's been persistent rumors throughout the offseason about a a potential Chris Bryant trade. The Cubs have overhauled a lot of aspects of their baseball operations and player development apparatus. When you look at the Cubs right now, just big picture, what do you kind of see and, and how do you assess where they are? I think their farm system is getting better. Um, it's got two pretty good guys up at the top of the list in, uh, Horner and Marquez who are going to wind up on our top 100 somewhere. Um, and the overall team, you know, like you said, it's, it just keeps kind of treading water there. Uh, part of that's due to not having the greatest starting pitching, which has been a weakness in their farm system for a long while now. Um, that's why they've had to go out and get guys like Cole Hamels and Jose, yeah, Jose Quintana and you Darvish guys like that. Um, but, you know, they just have not been able to produce a whole lot from their farm system. And they, they've tried to address that in uh, recent years. Yeah, you know, you look at the, the core, the young homegrown position player core that helped them win that World Series and become one of the National League's powers, they're all still performing. Wilson Contreras had a great year. Anthony Rizzo had a great year. Javier Baez wasn't an MVP contender again, but also had a really good year. Chris Bryant's still a stud, even though he's not winning hardware. Uh, Kyle Schwarber actually had a, a nice year, one of the better years he's had. So they still have a really good position player core. Um, as you mentioned, the pitching, they, they've had to spend a lot of money uh, and a lot of prospect capital to acquire the arms. Uh, you also have John Lester, who they gave a lot of money to, John Lackey a few years ago. And that was really where a lot of things fell apart, as well as in the bullpen. Uh, they signed Craig Kimbrell midseason. That did not work out. So um, the Cubs really, it comes down to the arms and whether or not they're going to be able to develop them and get them up fast enough uh, before some of these uh, these position players uh, are due a lot of money and they have to make some tough decisions. In that regard, Braylon Marquez uh, is the number one prospect in this system, topping Nico Horner, who raced to the majors, got there last year, and really, really held his own, very quickly became a a fan favorite uh, of the Chicago faithful. How close was that debate for you, Marquez and and Horner, after talking to evaluators both inside and outside the Cubs system? Not particularly close at all. Um, I will be honest, though, I went into it before I started making calls and things, uh, thinking about uh, Horner number one, just because, like you said, he 
jumped up. You know, he went uh, to the fall league in his first year as a pro and raked and then was aggressively assigned to double A for his first full season, uh, got hurt, missed uh, a good chunk of the year and was slated to go back to the fall league again uh, before uh, their middle infield, middle infield situation kind of deteriorated and they brought him up and he had some success. Um, he looked like a guy who could join the, you know, the line of position player prospects, college bred pl- uh, position player prospects. who have been pretty good for these guys. Um, but then you have a left-hander like Marquez who was very interesting had, uh, you know, entering the season and kind of, hit a second gear uh, late in the season as a left-hander, a big, big left-hander who can throw a hundred miles an hour, like nothing else. I uh, had really good success, uh, really good success um, at Myrtle beach uh, toward the end of the year, 26 strikeouts in 26 innings against just seven walks. Um, he was really, really nasty. And you know, if you're going to find that kind of flamethrower from the left side, I don't think you get those very often you know he's a he's a guy who's got the body who can probably hold up for you know a, a starter's workload it's a it's a ways to go because like i said he's just now in high a but he's really tantalizing and could be the answer to that pitching that you know, that just hasn't materialized from their farm system yeah i know during the course of the year uh it seemed like among all the kind of pop-up prospects if you will or guys who seem to be raising their stock the most the things you and i were both hearing about braylon marquez during the course of the year uh they definitely you know got our ears raised a little bit i don't think there was another pitcher in baseball this year who was earning the kind of raves i was hearing about him uh just in terms of guys who maybe entering the year were considered you know interesting um but but not at an elite level and we had some scouts and, and some people from agencies who were looking around trying to, you know, look at potential guys they'd want to represent, you know, saying things like, I, I, you know, this is one of the best pitching prospects I've seen all year. And someone that they would put up in the, in the uppermost echelon of pitching prospects, which is obviously, you know, quite a statement for a guy who was a prospect before this, but it seemed like the jump he made, particularly in the second half, uh, there are now some people out there who do consider him to be, in that upper echelon of left-handers, which is really saying something because there's a lot of good left-handers in the minors right now. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. What what you said is, is correct. He's once you see our top 100, which is going to drop fairly soon, depending on when this podcast gets released. um, You'll see, we consider him among the upper echelon of of not only left-handers, but pitchers in the entire minor leagues. He's got stud potential, Uh, really no other way to put it. With that, we've seen a lot of very, very talented pitching prospects go sideways, especially after lower level success. Um, Things just for whatever reason don't work out. What are the biggest obstacles that he has to overcome? Uh, Again, still very young. He's 20 years old. He'll be 21 in January, just through 100 innings for the first time. So there are still a lot of steps that need to be taken. What are the biggest things he needs to do in 2020 and beyond? I mean, it's just consistency. I know that's cliche, but he needs to continue to keep his, you know, his big body in sync, which is a you know, thing for all these guys. I mean, we've got him at 6'4", 185. It's probably a little bit more, a little bit heavier than that. Um, it's simply repeating the mechanics and continuing to, you know, command his stuff in and out of the zone, maybe sharpen the change up a little bit. But right now, it's, uh, there's a lot of arrows pointing up for him. Marquez and Horner are the clear top two prospects in the system. As you mentioned, both will be in the top 100. 
Number three, Brennan Davis was one of the more interesting prospects this year. We talk about risers and, and part of what's made the Cubs system a little bit better. Uh, last year, they were the second to worst uh, ranked farm system on our organization talent rankings. When this year's talent rankings come out, you'll see they are higher. Uh, and guys like Davis, you know, kind of taking a step forward are a part of that. What for you really stood out about Brennan Davis this year and what led to this jump? What happened? I'll also, I mean, I'll, I'll point out here that it was a clear cut number three. I didn't consider anybody else at number three. Um, he is toolsy. He has a two sport background and has translated those tools into skills faster than they'd expect. Uh, he did have some injury issues this year, but they liked what they saw in extended spring training and uh, not extended spring training, uh, minor league spring training enough that they were going to jump him directly to uh, South Bend and skip him over Eugene uh, when entering the season. The normal course would have been to go to Eugene um, after extended spring training, just like you know a lot of other guys with his experience. But they saw enough out of him uh, in those settings that they wanted to move him a little faster. And when he did get to South Bend, he hit really well, 305, 381, 525, eight bombs, nine doubles in 50 games. I mean, that's a pretty good return for a first quote-unquote full season that only lasted 50 games. Yeah, and, and this is one of those guys, you know, it seemed like there's a little bit of, um, you know, boom or bust. Sometimes the athletic, toolsy, big, you know, two-sport athletes, sometimes they work out, and when they work out, they work out really, really loudly. A lot of times they don't work out. Translating that raw athleticism into baseball skills is a tricky jump. Based on that debut, has his ceiling been raised in the eyes of evaluators? I mean, what kind of potential player are we talking about? Again, very far away. We're talking about 50 games at low A, but it does seem like the overall sense of who he can be has risen among the greater scouting community. I think the ceiling is the same. The risk factor to, or the, the likelihood of reaching it has uh, increased. You know, he's, he's always been a guy that, you know, if these tools click, you've got your your classic uh, power uh, speed type combination guy who can you know, uh, provide you a lot of value both defensively and offensively in the outfield. And I don't think that's really changed. They're just getting to it quicker than uh, would be expected. And it's interesting to map out his path too, because you know you can see him potentially joining the Cubs outfield here in the middle of the decade. Uh, they still have Jason Hayward signed through 2023. Um, you know, we have to see what they do with Albert Almore. He just had another kind of pretty poor season. Um, he is uh, still in the arbitration eligible world. He won't be a free agent until 2023 as well. Um, Kyle Schwarber had a, a nice year last year. Um, there's still arguments that he's miscast as an outfielder, um, but he is locked up uh, through 2022 as well in terms of his arbitration eligibility. So they don't have to rush Davis. It feels like they can let him develop bring him up in that 2022, 2023 time range when you know, he would still be 21, 22. Um, it seems like the window aligns nicely. It seems like the skills align nicely. It feels like the Cubs here might have a guy who is a potential, you know, potential everyday above average right fielder. Is that, is that an accurate statement? Yes. I mean, we have him as the 2023 right fielder. Um, in, and that's pretty much what you need to say about him. We think he's going to be their starting right fielder in 2023. He's that good. The clear number three in this system. Where did this start to get muddled for you? Because we established number one, number two, number three were pretty, you know, exact that that's where they belonged in that exact order. 
Uh, Miguel Amaya, number four, has had some time in the BA Top 100. Uh, Chase Strumpf had a nice career at UCLA, uh, checked in number five, one of their uh, their top picks this year. Um, did it start to get muddled around here, or wh where did it become, okay, now we're talking about players who could be, you know, not interchangeable, but it, it's not as clear-cut? Uh, yeah, four. Four, it got muddled. I mean, Miguel Amaya is a nice prospect, and he's still very young. I think he was the youngest player or second youngest player two years in a row uh, at his level, um, position player at least. And he had an okay season. Um, he showed, you know, a little bit of on-base skills, a little bit of power, um, but nothing jumped off the table at you. Strumpf with Eugene and South Bend continued to show that kind of professional hitter type mold that you would get from a guy like Nico Horner, uh, also, you know, a guy came out of the Pac-12 and, you know, really, really hit Eugene, 292, 405, 449, scuffled a little bit in six games at South Bend and then got hurt. Cole Roderer, the outfielder at number six, was a guy we really liked uh, last year who didn't uh, have quite the year he'd wanted due to mechanical and kind of approach issues. Ryan Jensen at seven was a guy that I think they reached a little bit for, or at least we think they reached a little bit for uh, with their first round pick. But uh, his stuff analytically jumps off the board, uh, and he's got a really, really good fastball. And they think they believe he's um, a, a starting pitching candidate. I mean, and he, those guys could have gone in pretty much any order. Yeah, Miguel Amaya is kind of interesting to me just because you're right. He's so so young. He held his own at high A, and the strikeout to walk is is really intriguing. Fifty four walks, sixty nine strikeouts. While showing, you know, he hit for power at 35 extra base hits. Uh, it's 24 doubles, 11 homers, and 99 games. And it seems like there's power. It seems like there's a good feel for the zone. Uh, got on base. Is this a potential everyday catcher? Again, he's very young. He's very far away. But do people see the skills for that, or do they see him more as a power-hitting part-timer? I think you're going to split the difference here, and he's more like a second-division starter. There's not a whole lot that's really sexy about him. He's solid. I, I get that he's young, but there's just no one standout tool. It's a sum of the parts type of guy. So he's good, but you know I, I don't see him making like uh, the top 100 or anything like that. Although we could be wrong. Check back next week or whenever this drops. Ryan Jensen, you hit on this earlier. He was the Cubs' first-round pick this year. Was probably uh, the biggest surprise of the first-round picks, along with Corey Lee, uh, the catcher that the Astros took at the end of the first round. Now, Jensen pitched at Fresno State. I uh, was pitching in the Mountain West Conference. A lot of very, very uh, difficult parks to pitch in. Uh, and he really did hold his own. There, there's some power stuff there. You mentioned analytically uh, some things showed up. Uh, most evaluators seem to think of him as a reliever. I even spoke to some in the Cubs organization who said, yeah, you know, I, I think he probably ends up a, a closer type for us. Uh, on the 2023 projected lineup, you penciled him in as the Cubs future closer as well. Uh, very small sample size, obviously, but initial impressions of him coming out of the draft and what he showed uh, after, you know, entering the Cubs system. I mean, what kind of pitcher are we looking at? Is, is there any – what is the percentage he starts versus relieves? Because clearly it seems like most people think he ends up in relief. I mean, I think it's easy to shove him in the bullpen uh, quickly, but it's a guy with, you know, two fastballs that uh, both sit around the same. You've got a four-seamer and a two-seamer that are both mid-90s pitches. So that's going to make it really difficult on hitters too. And the – their amateur scouts noted that he held that velocity on both pitches throughout his starts. 
and then you got to couple it with a potentially above average slider, and maybe you have a guy who can be a starter. I mean, it's certainly not a slam dunk either way. It's not a layup either way either. He's just uh, a guy that you have to give time and you have to let develop and see if he can do that. He's got he's he's got maybe a little bit of the body that you want to hold or to um to put into rotation like that, but you know, I, I think it's way too early in his career to say one way or the other without, with any uh, sense of authority. On your tool grades on him, uh, you put a, a 40 grade potential change up with a 40 grade potential control. That's below average on both. And that is a profile that generally does end up in the bullpen. Um, how much faith is there that those could potentially be better than that? Cause if those are the grades on it, it's understandable why most people think that he'll end up in the bullpen and, and that probably would be his ultimate destination. Again, it's hard to grade a, a change up like that when you haven't seen him throw it much. Like he didn't need it much in college. He didn't throw it a whole hell of a lot in pro ball either, just because he only threw four warriors this year, 12 innings. So it's a pitch that's going to be needed to develop. You're going to turn him over to your pitch development guys, your pitch design guys, and you're going to see if you can find the grip, the arm action, the slot, whatever combination of variables you want to get him to an effective changeup. So, yeah, we graded him at 40, but there's a whole lot of development left. And if you can get him to, you know, repeat his delivery even more, then maybe that, those controlled grades bump up too. It's really, really early in his pro career to settle on anything uh, solidly. Low-level pitchers, everything is pretty fluid. Eight to ten, your last three guys that ended up in the top ten. How many players total were kind of in consideration here, and, and how far of a drop-off is this tier from the four to seven tier? It's not a whole lot of a drop-off. Pretty convinced I wanted to put Ethan Hearn in the um, the ten based on the amount of money they gave him. Uh, like I said here in his write-up, the nine hundred and fifty thousand uh, they gave him was the highest bonus for a sixth rounder in the past two drafts. So that kind of tells you exactly what they think about him by giving him that figure at that round. He's a big boy with big power and potential ability to catch. So he's a guy who I consider pretty interesting. And I, I remember liking him a little bit as an amateur for whatever tournament he was here in North Carolina for. Uh, Riley Thompson from Louisville is a guy that, you know, he's got big stuff, you know, uh, an average 93 mile an hour fastball with a 3000 RPM curveball uh, and an improved changeup. Like I said, they, they, uh, they worked with his grip and they found a changeup that worked for him. And he did really well uh, in low A, especially in the playoffs. I think he's, he'd say five perfect innings with 10 strikeouts in his last start of the year in the playoffs for uh, South Bend. So this is a guy who's on his way up as well. Uh, Corey Abbott had a pretty good year. Tennessee mostly struck out 166 guys in 147 innings. Uh, there are guys who are more bearish on his stock and more bullish on his stock than others, but he seemed like a good safe-ish guy at 10. Corey Abbott's a really interesting guy to me because I covered him a little bit loyal in Marymount, had an incredible season. Uh, his junior year was an All-American for us here at BA. And he's been really good at every level of his pitch since they drafted him uh, at the end of the uh, supplemental second round in 2017. It's interesting because talking to evaluators, 
no one loves him, but everyone likes him. Like, I haven't heard anyone say, oh, this guy isn't very good. Everyone seems like, yeah, no, he does good things. And it seems like he's kind of rising silently as a guy who's going to plug into the number four or five spot in the Cubs rotation. And, you know, while again, that's not sexy, every single team needs a good number four or five starters. And I think that Abbott just strikes me again as the guy who's, he's always performed. Everyone likes him. Again, no one loves him, but everyone likes him. He just strikes me as the guy who's, who's going to be a good pitcher that not a lot of people are talking about. Well, we'll see what it looks like next year. I mean, he's going to go to the Pacific Coast League. He will get some sort of mystery quality of baseballs. <laughs> and he might get his head kicked in uh, by the atmosphere and the baseball. So it's going to make it really tough to evaluate because you know, there's the, plenty of guys this year who went to the Pacific Coast League and suddenly looked a lot worse because they had the Super Bowl and, you know, Albuquerque and Fresno and all these places that the ball just flies anyway. So, yeah, it, it ultimately I think you're going to have to separate that kind of noise um, from his 2020 season. And, yeah, at, that, at uh, his ceiling, he's probably, yeah, about a number four starter. And, and as we said, every team needs it. I mean, you look at it, it's not giving up a lot of hits. He's missing bats. He's keeping his walks reasonable. Uh, there is an out pitch there with his slider. So there are some things to like there. How many other guys were in consideration for this list? Uh, was this a pretty clear, you know, 8 to 10? Or, or how many other guys were in the mix here? I mean, I thought about Alzale a little bit. Tyson Miller could have stuck on there, but he got hit pretty darn hard in the – he went from – Four and three, two fifty six in fifteen starts at Double A to three and five, seven fifty eight in Iowa. Put it this way: he pitched forty nine innings this year at Iowa and gave up roughly thirty percent of his career homers. The Triple A ball is a hell of a drug, as you would say. Yeah, well, the Major League ball is a hell of a drug, we should say, because that's the ball. The big yeah, I mean, it's it's. I don't know if it's a drug for pitchers, but it's it's something. Kevin Made or Ronnie or Quintero, um, I could have really uh, put it all on the table and put them up there. But um, in the end, I chose to pick some more guys who were closer to the big leagues. There's a lot of different ways this list could have gone. So with that big picture, we mentioned the Cubs. This is still a very competitive team with a lot of really good players. Uh, there is a lot of changeover happening. We have to see how David Ross adjusts to his first year as a manager. When you look at the talent the Cubs have in the major leagues and kind of the timeline for it and how long they'll be able to keep some of those guys, in addition to where their best prospects are in the system, particularly the pitchers, how much longer is the Cubs window going to be open and will these guys hit quick enough or is a reset coming? I don't know if a reset's coming. I, it'd be hard. I, it's, it's hard for me to kind of fathom a total reset when you do have talented guys like Schwarber and uh, Bryant and Baez and Contreras and all these guys, these young, talented players. I understand that they're expensive, but the Ricketts are, uh, the, the ownership is rich, so they should be able to afford them. Um, that's about all I'll say there. But if they do um, have to move on without them, uh, I, I don't know how quickly they're going to uh, be competitive again. Like I said, uh, a guy like Horner is a nice piece. I don't know if he's a, a star level guy at uh, number two. Braylon Marquez has a lot of variability to him, and he's a little bit away. Brennan Davis has a lot of variability. The rest of the list is, they're not the sexiest. If I'm the Cubs, uh, I certainly want to continue to try to win with what we have. 
and supplement it with what you can on the free agent market or through trades. I agree with that entirely. You, you, know, you spend your entire life trying to develop guys like a Chris Bryant, like a Javier Baez, finding a catcher like a Wilson Contreras. It's not easy. And I think it would be a mistake to give up on it, especially when your quote unquote bad season is an 84 win season that was marked mostly by a very, very stark home road split, which, you know, maybe that's something that, you know, gets, gets fixed here in, in the coming year. Uh, again, they have some pitchers they need to add, but there is talent here. There is a lot of ability here. And I don't think anyone would be surprised to see the Cubs contend for the NL Central title again in 2020 uh, without a whole lot of help from the farm system. Obviously, Nico Horner will be up, but they have the ability to let these younger guys develop. Uh, with They don't need them all to hit right away because they have guys currently on the team that can, that can win them games at the major league level. Uh, Josh, any final thoughts before we wrap up here? No, I mean, just this, 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 guy, this system has some guys at the bottom, your Fabian Pertuzas, your Ronnie uh, Quinteros, your Kevin Mades, uh, your Morel brothers that are going to be interesting in the coming year. It's not unlike the Yankee system that I also do, where they have guys who could make this system look a lot better in a couple of years' time, but they're so far away that it's hard to pencil them in as a piece of the bigger puzzle. Absolutely. We'll, we'll see if they can make that jump. And I think that'll certainly be one of the interesting subplots of the Cubs at 2020 season, at least in the minor leagues. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always. Thank you very much. All right, everyone. Well, that will do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Josh Norris, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.